0: Good afternoon good evening good people wherever you are in the world this is Jamila and you are listening to music and we I am going it alone right now Jesse is not here with me he is reeling (laughs) quote-unquote from his experience in seeing Janet Jackson he has seen her before on this occasion he actually got to spend time with her so I'm excited to hear the story I only heard a little bit so I'm really excited Last night, I got to see Billy Cobham, who is one of my favorite ever drummers in the whole entire world. And I don't know if you've seen someone live and you have this wave of positivity over you. its this spiritual energy that's positive when you see them. That's how I felt the first time I saw Pharoah Sanders and the other times. I've seen him three times. And when I saw Billy Cobham last night. It was so amazing and the amount of joy he puts into doing his drumming, it says so much about his character and I felt that good energy from him. And I actually got to meet him last night and if he's not the sweetest person, he is one of the sweetest people I've ever met in my whole life. And I will cherish that moment for the rest of my life. He is so funny. (laughs) And <laughs> I ended up hanging out a tiny bit with this guy, Larry, who was friends with him. He said, you want to meet him? I said, of course I do. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this is Billy Cobham, one of my favorite drummers ever in the whole world. And even if I said thank you, if that's all I said and gave him a hug, I would be totally happy. But just seeing Billy Cobham in his element, it it brought so much joy to me. And that's how I feel. If I were to meet Michael Jackson, I really didn't want to say too much to Michael Jackson. I just wanted to say thank you because I've said it on the podcast numerous times. I'll say it again. I consider him to be a life's teacher based on my connection with him in terms of how we were raised as children and how he chose to live his life, whether positive or negative created a lot of lessons for me so i'm truly appreciative to michael jackson for that and i didn't really want to say too much to him but thank you i'm sure there were a couple of things i wanted to ask him obviously but if i had two seconds i would have just said thank you and if that's all i could have said to billy Cobham i would have been totally happy with that and i did say that i said, i'm really appreciative for this moment thank you so much he's like oh, know. you know so amazing if you've never heard of Billy Cobham if you've never seen him live and you love him please if you have an opportunity go see him billy Cobham C-O-B-H-A-N. he is absolutely amazing if you've heard of the Vishnu Orchestra you know him through there if you've seen him. Work with others, George Duke, I and mean, there are so many people he's worked with, and he of course has his own music. Uh, he is absolutely amazing, and of course, Prince has covered him. <laughs> if we're relating to music, and we Prince has covered Billy Cobham, I don't know if they've ever performed live together, and if they have, it's somewhere in Prince's vault. I guarantee it. He put that on lock and key. (laughs) Because where is it? I, I think that would be absolutely amazing to see Prince and Billy Cobham together. Either a drum duet or just Prince on the strings, Billy Cobham on the drums, whatever it is. I think that would be phenomenal footage. And maybe it wasn't meant for any of us to see. I don't know. But Billy Cobham. Ooh. Uh, just type Billy Cobham and just watch away. <laughs> That's my only advice for you. And Janet, of course, Janet's amazing live. I've seen her live and absolutely amazing. And she seems like a really sweet person. So I'm so happy for Jesse. My heart is so happy that he got to have that opportunity to meet Janet Jackson. My goodness. <laughs> Obviously, this episode is going to be significantly shorter because Jesse is not here. I did want to talk about some things I feel are timely. And there are some things you may know that I wanted to discuss in case you didn't know. And if you do know, I hope you are discussing these things with family, friends, loved ones. And maybe you were talking with someone and a stranger came up and said, Oh, I know that information and they expounded upon it. Well, hopefully you will be talking about these things. One thing I'm seeing is the focus on popular culture and not understanding how think tanks create the scenarios in which we focus on. There is a wonderful poem by Talam Acey and he is another person I've met. This was many, 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 many years ago, absolutely, absolutely nice person. he writes poetry about this as well but he's talking to African men in particular how there are think tanks how um, the conversation is focused on how we should measure our personalities our individuality through the amount of quote wealth we have when it's really not wealth when we don't own the means of production when we're owning cars when we're owning houses quote unquote (laughs) It's not really ownership of the means of production. We don't own the companies that make those cars. So our, our personalities are determined upon how much we quote unquote own. And think tanks are relying on us to be dependent on those things. Popular culture is dependent on us to be dependent and focused on those things as opposed to the larger issues of oppression. That exist. One of the things I do want to talk about right now is the Real ID Act. I don't know how many of you listening are aware that this is going to be implemented on October first, two thousand twenty. I have been talking about the Real ID Act for years. (laughs) I used to have a radio show for eleven years, and I would talk about it all the time. A lot of people would talk about this as a conspiracy theory oh you're just trying to scare people the government's not going to do this you're trying to put fear into people but the real id act has been discussed on government websites for years (laughs) so this is not a conspiracy theory this is a reality that is now going to be implemented on october 1st 2020 and in the wake of quote september 11th The way people talk about september 11th i think somebody's getting ready to trademark it because you're purchasing products based on it memorabilia based on this tragic event and we could go all day on that day i remember what happened on that day the thing is what happened immediately after september 11th oh if you are proud to be an american go buy things that was the response of the u.s government If you're proud to be an American, show that you are by being a consumer. This is all purposeful. Go buy this U.S. flag that was made in China. Why don't you? Anyway, (laughs) in the wake of September 11th, TM, Congress in 2005 supported the Real ID Act. They passed it and you didn't really hear a lot of conversation around it until 2013. Or at least that's when I started hearing conversation around it. And that's when I started talking about it. And they had been waiting for states to catch up. I remember them saying, well, 2018, March of 2018, that's when we want all the states to be in line with the Real ID Act. But there were states like Oregon, and I lived in Oregon for many years. They didn't have the chip and the IDs and anything. So even... If you're trying to get on a plane, if you don't have a chip in your ID, uh, you cannot get on the plane in some cases. This is what they're implementing. And with the Real ID Act, it has a gold star on the upper right hand corner. And this is your proof of identification. So if as of October 1st, 2020, if you do not have a corresponding ID that has a star On the upper right hand corner, you would not be able to get into federal buildings. You cannot get on a plane. How I knew this became a reality was because I was at the DMV a couple of years, a couple of weeks ago. And someone stole my wallet, so now I'm trying to get everything back. And the lady said, This was a Saturday. People have their jobs Monday to Friday, so she said, We extended our hours a little on Saturday because I know. People have their jobs Monday to Friday. It's a lot easier to come in Monday to Friday, but we know people have jobs. We recently trained 800 more people because of the upcoming Real ID implementation. So we know the lines were gonna be much longer at that time. So when the DMV lady is saying that, you know it's a reality. Even though I knew it was a reality, that made it even more of a reality when the DMV lady is saying this so you know the DMV is going to be heavily affected by these changes as well I'm not one of those people who are going to be mad at the DMV they're doing their job again that's low-hanging fruit the DMV they're they're working class people it's their management or their bosses (laughs) who you really got to take issue with If you need to deal with any kind of change, if you need to renew your driver's license, your state ID, whatever it is, do it as soon as possible before October 1st, 2020. If you need to get a passport, get it now. It's becoming harder and harder and harder to get a passport as it is right now. It is now $145 to get a passport. And then if you get a a maritime passport, You can't use it overseas, but you can use it in parts of the Caribbean and in the U.S. It's $175 to get a book passport as well as the card passport, which is a very limited form of identification for traveling. If you need to get that, get that. And then just work on all of that now because it's coming. It is coming. I think we had a conversation a while ago about this wall, and I'm looking at the Real ID Act in the same exact way. People are focused on building this wall. This wall is meant to keep everyone in, is not meant to keep people out. There's the ITIN number, which is used as a tax number. People who are undocumented, quote unquote, pay taxes. They pay into Social Security, they pay all of these things, and that is how the government continues to make money, and that is what goes into Social Security. So to say undocumented people do not pay taxes and they're scamming the system would be absolutely wrong. The country thrives off of undocumented people to profit. They're not getting rid of undocumented people. It is... My opinion that no one is illegal, that's a whole other conversation. A piece of paper does not determine your humanity. However, if we're getting into documented versus undocumented, undocumented people do pay taxes, they just don't get taxes back. So, to say that undocumented people are scamming the system would be factually incorrect. And to say, oh, building this wall is keeping people out, anyone who is determined. To cross a wall is gonna do it. But building a wall has nothing to do with keeping people out. It's keeping everybody in, and they're making it so hard to get a passport now as it is, as I just said. So get all of that stuff now because once October 1st, 2020 happens, it's gonna be even harder and lines are gonna be backed up because I don't know how many people know it's gonna be implemented. Everyone's like la 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 la. No. Prepare yourselves now, get your passports, everything in order as soon as you can. Here's a little bit more about the real ID. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So in case anyone doesn't think this is real, this is coming from the Department of Homeland Security. The Department of Homeland Security, or DHS, announced on December twentieth, two 2013 a phased enforcement plan for the Real ID Act, as passed by Congress, that will implement the act in a measured, fair, and responsible way. Secure driver's licenses and identification documents are a vital component of our national security framework. The Real ID Act, passed by Congress in 2005, enacted the 9-11 Commission's recommendation that the federal government, quote, set standards for the issuance of sources of identification, such as driver's licenses." The Act established minimum security standards for license issuance and production and prohibits federal agencies from accepting for certain purposes driver's licenses and ID cards from states not meeting the Act's minimum standards. The purposes covered by the Act are accessing federal facilities, Entering nuclear power plants and no sooner than 2016, which has passed, of course, boarding federally regulated commercial aircraft. DHS is committed to enforcing the Real ID Act in accordance with the phased enforcement schedule and regulatory timeframes and is not inclined to grant additional extensions to any states that are not both committed to achieving full compliance and making substantial and documented progress and satisfying any unmet requirements. It has been 12 years since the Real ID Act was passed 12 years since this was written and half of all the states have already met the Real ID minimum standards. It is time that the remaining jurisdictions turn their commitments to secure identification into action. Sounds like a threat, don't it? The following enforcement measures are cumulative with measures in each phase remaining in effect through successive phases. Each phase will begin with a three-month period where agencies will provide notice to individuals attempting to use driver's licenses or identification cards from non-compliant states but still allow access. After this period is over, agencies will no longer accept such identification for entry to federal facilities, and individuals will need to follow the agency's alternate procedures to be made available by the agency. Phase one. Restricted areas, i.e. areas accessible by agency personnel, contractors, and their guests for DHS's Nebraska Avenue Complex or NAC Headquarters. Phase 2. Restricted areas for all federal facilities and nuclear power plants. Phase 3. Semi-restricted areas, i.e. areas available to the general public but subject to ID-based access control for most federal facilities, subject to limitations described in the next section. Access to federal facilities will continue to be allowed for purposes of applying for or receiving federal benefits. Phase 4 Boarding Federally Regulated Commercial Aircraft Limitations The Act does not require individuals to present identification where it is not currently required to access a federal facility such as to enter the public areas of the Smithsonian, nor does it prohibit an agency from accepting other forms of identity documents other than documents from non-compliant states, such as a U.S. passport or passport card. So, if you have a passport, that's okay. If you have a state ID that's not uh, compliant with real ID, then no. The Act's prohibitions do not affect other uses of driver's licenses or identification cards including licenses and cards from non-compliant states, unrelated to official purposes as defined in the Act. So, so far, it looks like three states are in extension of the Real ID Act. That would be Oregon, Oklahoma, and New Jersey. It looks like American Samoa also has an extension. Of course, you don't have to totally believe what I say. I literally just read off the government website. My suggestion is you do the research for yourself, be as informed as possible, don't just go with my word. I did research on it over the years and it is finally being implemented October 1st, 2020. The next thing I'm going to talk about nobody should be surprised about, they've had urban warfare drills for decades. Uh, This particular story, it's been buried. Unless you know to look for it, you're not gonna fight it. If you just have a general search, they don't tell you anything. But this is from Newsweek. I don't particularly like reading from capitalist sources. However, it's one of the few that does talk about it. The headline is, ICE fails to properly redact document reveals location of future Urban Warfare Training Facility. The U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency, or ICE, failed to redact a document for the least the second time in less than a month after trying to redact the location of a future Urban Warfare Training Facility that is expected to include hyper-realistic simulations of homes, hotels, and commercial buildings in Chicago and Arizona. ICE published an acquisition form for the procurement of hyper-realistic training devices for a new training facility for its expanding Special Response Team, or SRT, program on the Federal Business Opportunities website. The immigration agency had sought to redact the location of the new training facility, but failed to do so properly. The agency, which has made this kind of mistake previously, (laughs) Appears to have a systemic information security problem. In this case, Newsweek was able to simply copy and paste the document's contents into a word processor and quickly establish that the facility would be built at the Office of Firearms and Tactical Programs, OFTP, Tactical Operations Complex, TOC, at Fort Benning, Georgia, a U.S. Army post used to prepare soldiers for combat. It is unclear why ICE sought to redact the location of the training facility, as it was previously named in a document obtained by courts. In addition to failing to properly redact the location, however, ICE also sought to withhold information that the Army post would be getting an expansion, with up to 50 buildings expected to be added to the site. Quote, a blanket purchase agreement or a BPA vehicle would be competed amongst GSA Federal Supply Schedule holders for additional training buildings and interior-slash-exterior outfitting in the first quarter of Fiscal Year 20, end quote. ICE states in a portion it did not attempt to redact from the document. In a following partially redacted line, it states, quote, OFTP plans to expand the training site at Fort Benning to include up to 50 additional buildings add additional US city layouts and design. There it is. I'm less inclined to believe that the failure to redact this information was an accident two times. This looks like a hidden in plain sight thing. I don't think anybody hacked the site to leave anything for people to see. I just think because this information is not known across the board things are able to be put up to be seen and virtually ignored so ICE the government could give you this information somebody could report it and people don't believe it because it's not on the top of a search engine for instance I don't know how many people would even see this Newsweek story because again it's not at the top of the search engine unless you know to look for it you have to type certain words in order to see this story. There is one thing I do know. The people who are going to be directly affected by this are obviously undocumented people, obviously working class and poor people, and obviously African people. They are building hyper-realistic simulations of homes, hotels, and commercial buildings. Who works at these places? Undocumented people. They clean houses, they clean hotels, they clean commercial buildings. They do other things besides cleaning. These are going to be wholesale roundups, not of just undocumented people. These are going to be wholesale roundups of people assumed to be in gangs, not just people in gangs. going to be caught up in the mix. There's going to be a lot of people caught up in the mix of these wholesale roundups. Let's not get it twisted. It's on purpose that they choose these low hanging fruit issues. So a lot of Africans say, well, Mexicans don't care about my issues. Why should I care about them? Let them all get rounded up. We have to understand we all have a common enemy. The people who are rounding up undocumented people and people who aren't even undocumented, they're assumed to be undocumented for one reason or another those people don't care about you either and you go into Chicago and of course they have the conversation about gangs. There's going to be mass roundups. We are at war and majority of us are not prepared for it. There's so much focus on these low-hanging fruit issues and we don't know about what's actually going on behind the scenes and we think well it's not happening to me, so I don't care. It's happening over here. And I know there is that poem, first they came, blank, they came for blank, then they came for blank, then they came for blank, then they came for me. You could say that is a reality for a lot of us, but empathy is not a bad thing to have. Even if it doesn't personally affect you. Understand. It affects you indirectly and it will come to affect you directly. It will come to your community. Don't think it's not going to come for you. Don't think you're not going to be affected or someone you know is not going to be affected by this, whether directly or indirectly. Pay attention to what's going on. It's important to recognize once again we are at war. It is important to prepare for the fact we are at war. It's important to organize right now in New Mexico you have the proud boys over the weekend and Donald Trump is coming on Monday a lot of people look at Donald Trump as silly but he is the symptom of the larger issue he is a puppet of the representation of capitalism of Zionism and of imperialism and neo-colonialism People are focused on getting him out. People were so happy that John Bolton got fired. But because John Bolton got fired, it doesn't mean the system has gotten better. John Bolton getting fired is now going to strengthen the U.S.'s position against Venezuela, perhaps. So now they can move more in Venezuela and strengthen the sanctions even more john bolton got in the way of that so we need to look at the larger picture of what's really happening stop looking at the quote common person as the enemy and look at the larger picture of what's happening we all have a common enemy and we need to understand they are against all of us and they do not have an interest to serve us they have an interest to serve these larger issues of oppression and these ice raids They've been happening. People have been happy because it doesn't personally affect me, but they will affect you whether directly or indirectly at some point. You gotta pay attention to what's going on around us. Don't just focus on popular culture or all of these low hanging fruit issues or, oh Kamala Harris did this or that and she said this to Biden. She's part of that system as well. Pay attention to these people's records. To be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if this current wave of the urban warfare projects were to be working in concert with the implementation of the Real ID Act for all states on October 20th, 2020. I would not be surprised if there were wholesale roundups of people who did not have the proper federal ID. I do think it's funny that right wing people love to quote George Orwell as if he was a right wing figure, when in fact he identified as a democratic socialist. And I quote, he wrote in 1946, Every line of serious work that I have written since 1936 has been written directly or indirectly against totalitarianism and for democratic socialism as I understand it. <laughs> The quote that right-wing people love to use, of course, is from 1984. <laughs> if you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. People who are anti-socialists love this quote because they think it's a representation of socialism. Whereas socialism, and I keep saying this on the podcast and outside of the podcast, socialism is when the means of production are owned by the masses of the people, or the masses of the working classes. That's what socialism is, it is the middle of capitalism is a transitory period between capitalism moving into communism. Communism is the elimination of class lines, it has nothing to do with the state rationing items for people communism is the total elimination of the state and that is the goal so socialism is that middle period and you're still going to have elements of capitalism because it's a transitory period just like you still have elements of feudalism you pay rent to a landlord that's still the remnants of feudalism and technology has been Upheld by capitalism, and you're going to have that aspect in socialism. And you look at Cuba, you look at Vietnam, those are socialist countries. And do they have elements of capitalism? Of course, they have private enterprise, they have all these things which somebody with a cursory look will go, How can they be socialist? They're capitalist. No, you have elements of that because it's a transitory period, but you're working, you're organizing towards a system where the masses benefit and own the means of production commonly. That is socialism. That does not exist in the U.S. Yes, you have minor aspects of that, okay, social security, and then you have highways if you want to consider that, commonly used because of taxes, but overall, this is not a socialist society. The masses do not benefit from the means of production and resources. They're utilized by private profit motives and the exploitation of labor. Here's some more quotes attributed to George Orwell. Oh, I think they're pretty applicable right now. The further a society drifts from truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. The most effective way to destroy people is to deny and obliterate their own understanding of their history. The people will believe what the media tells them they believe. It's frightful that people who are so ignorant should have so much influence. The past was erased, the erasure was forgotten, the lie became the truth. In a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. All tyrannies rule through fraud and force. But once the fraud is exposed, they must rely exclusively on force. I would say that's specific to fascism, absolutely. (laughs) However much you deny the truth, the truth goes on existing. There is no swifter route to the corruption of thought than through the corruption of language. A society becomes totalitarian when its structure becomes flagrantly artificial, that is, when it's ruling class has lost it's function but succeeds in clinging to power by force or fraud. So much of left-wing thought is a kind of playing with fire by people who don't even know that fire is hot. (laughs) Journalism is printing what someone else does not want printed. Everything else is public relations. We are all capable of believing things which we know to be untrue, and then, when we are finally proved wrong, Impudently twisting the facts so as to show that we were right. That's pretty common in this day and age, for sure. <laughs> in our age, there is no such thing as keeping out of politics. All issues are political issues, and politics itself is a mass of lies, evasions, folly, hatred, and schizophrenia. That rifle hanging on the wall of the working-class flat or laborer's cottage is a symbol of democracy. It is our job to see that it stays there. Truth becomes untruth if uttered by your enemy. Whoever controls the image and information of the past determines what and how future generations will think. Whoever controls the information and images of the present determines how those same people will view the past. Liberal, a power worshiper without power. (laughs) I will not call George Orwell a prophet, but if these words actually were attributed to him he was spot on. I know some of them are attributed to him, but you know how some things get misquoted. So I'm just saying allegedly attributed to him. But These quotes, whoever said it, George Orwell or not, spot on. I think they are definitely applicable in this day and age, particularly with the proliferation of social media particularly with the current face of U.S. imperialism being as unhinged as he is, I think it's absolutely applicable. (laughs) I used to have a commitment to read 1984 annually and then I gave my book away to somebody. I haven't read it in a few years but I do want to read it again (laughs) because I think that book is one of those books that are absolutely timely in this day and age. (laughs) And of course I do want to address the situation in Azania aka South Africa. Despite the fact that the majority of the population is African, Africans still hold little to no systemic power. Africans are extremely marginalized and yet you have Africans attacking other Africans based on whatever colonial border they're from they are quote immigrants taking our jobs and they're criminals does that sound familiar <laughs> i do want to read a portion of an essay a dear friend brother and comrade of mine in jammu wrote pertaining to the complex legacy of nelson mandela however the portion i'm going to read i think is pretty apl- applicable to this situation the government the ANC transitioned into in Azania was a government where the tiny white minority viciously, violently, and systematically controlled all of the vast wealth of that country, while the millions of Africans, about 80% of the country's population, controlled less than 5% of that country's wealth. What did newly installed President Mandela and the ANC actually believe would benefit the masses of Africans in this society? where a supposed transition of power took place where the multinational capitalist corporations from De Beers, European entity that controls diamond mining and production, to all of the major automobile manufacturers, remain all of their wealth control and influence on policy in the country, when their influence clearly is a dominant force that keeps Africans subjugated, disorganized, and oppressed. Why did Mandela agree to a system in 1994? that eliminated the racial policy of apartheid while keeping intact the brutal economic oppression that system had cultivated for hundreds of years. That is a critical question because another element of these agreements we know about is the ANC agreed to suspend armed struggle against the white settler regime, and that armed resistance was the movement's most powerful leverage against the system. The other major strength of the movement was the international anti-apartheid movement which clearly lost its legs after Mandela became president and the actual legalized system of apartheid was superficially taken down in 1994. Not only must there be a racial analysis, but also a class analysis on these systems, these hierarchies of oppression. Why is it the majority of the population is African and yet holds little to no systemic power? while it is important to honor mandela's revolutionary history it's also important to take note of those contradictions into the transitory government which has remained the same essentially because africans still have no systemic power little to no systemic power even through that transition and it's not unlike what you saw with obama in that they hired an african to squelch dissent The vast difference is that Obama was far from a revolutionary. His role was to protect imperialist interests. Mandela did understand the power the masses had to create change. The power of a revolutionary consciousness, he did understand that. But the systems that put both in place understood the power of these figures being in quote-unquote power was to squelch dissent. When Nelson Mandela was let out of Raman prison after 27 years, people celebrated. When Obama was selected, people celebrated. They thought this was gonna be a new age where Africans were going to have their needs met. And yet we see the conditions for Africans are the same. And yet Africans are attacking other Africans. Instead of understanding that uh, the people who control the majority of the wealth enjoy seeing Africans attack other Africans based on these colonial borders. As a Pan-Africanist, of course, I want to see the elimination of these colonial borders. So you do have people like Malema and the EFF promoting the elimination of borders. You have the Pan-African Congress. You have the ANC. You do have different parties And they have various disagreements. The best thing that can happen in this case, all of the Africans in those political parties should formulate some kind of unified front on the interests of the masses of Africans. You can have your disagreements or your varying methods and how you think you should get there, but the goal should be to create strategies towards liberation for African people. The more we as Africans battle one another, the more imperialism wins, the more neo-colonialism wins, the more capitalism wins. We need to learn from these experiences and say, okay, how can we do better as a people? How can we look at this situation in the and understand how this affects us globally? How can we look at this situation and understand that affects us across the continent? We need to embrace our struggles and learn from them and understand that unification is the key to our liberation. And on to other news, I just found out that Rick Okazic and Eddie Money have passed on. My goodness, life is not promised, that's for sure. I didn't realize they were both in their 70s though. I thought they were younger, I don't know why. I didn't particularly pay attention to their age but for some reason I did think they were younger Rick Ocasek was 75 and Eddie Money was 70 Eddie Money last month he announced publicly that he had stage 4 esophageal cancer that has got to be brutal that has got to be really brutal especially because it spread and it spread to his liver lymph nodes and stomach and Oh, I had a few times had lumps in my lymph nodes and for me it was a cancer scare. I went to the doctor Yeah, this is a little bit of a health <laughs> conversation and it might be TMI to some people, but I think it's really important when you see and feel stuff like that, get it checked out. So this is a lesson. So I had lumps in my underarms where the lymph nodes are. So... I was in a lot of pain, and the doctor said, "Whoa, it was just your lymph nodes that are swollen." And I don't know; things can happen. It's like, <laughs> you know, you you have to be safe. You have to take precautions. And I told him about this consistent pain I was having in my belly. He didn't even check it out. This is what I don't trust a lot of doctors because. He just said, well, are you in pain now? And I said, no. He said, forget about it. But they come to find out I actually had cysts in my ovaries for many, many years until I had to go through the emergency room for them to tell me. So from the ages of 17, I had, to 17 to 28, I had cysts in my ovaries. They went away, fortunately. Uh, but That doctor, I was 17 when I went to the doctor and had the lump under my arm. And he said, well, don't worry about it. It doesn't hurt now. When I was 23, I was in so much pain that I couldn't sit. I couldn't stand. I couldn't go to the bathroom. And I took myself on the train and went to the emergency room. And they wouldn't even tell me what was going on. The nurse said, well, I shouldn't really be telling you this, but you have a two inch cyst in your ovaries. I said, what? <laughs> and as I just said, it wasn't until the age of 28 where it just went away. I am glad they went away. But it's is really painful. Really painful. Fortunately, it was just a cyst and not a malignant tumor. Um, and again, if you're feeling any kind of pain like that, if you have a free clinic in your town go to that if you're able to afford a doctor's checkup please do it if you have insurance please do it because (laughs) it is wild out here (laughs) and sometimes people aren't going to help you sometimes you say oh i have a lump under my arm and look at it on the internet but that's not gonna be as effective as getting it checked out physically. That's my lesson for the day. (laughs) If you're feeling massive pain, get it checked out. Please, 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 please. Um, Okay, look. (laughs) This is the last thing I'm gonna talk about on this episode. Uh, Given that this is music and we, I would be remiss if I did not discuss something in relation to Michael Jackson or Prince. However, I do not want to discuss this subject. And the subject is leaving Neverland. Leaving Neverland won an Emmy. I do not particularly care about that. People I know are quite upset. I'm not upset about it. It's to be expected. And I'm not sure why people continue to be reactionary. I understand we love Michael. The best thing to do to honor his legacy is not focus on this at this point. It's been, was it February or March the movie aired, it is now September. How much can we focus on this? I understand we love Michael. The best thing we can do is in real time advocate for his legacy. If we say Michael Jackson was about healing, if we say Michael Jackson was about helping children. If we say Michael Jackson was about positivity, then we need to have that in real time. Focusing on leaving Neverland and being reactionary is not the way to do it. Michael Jackson on his deathbed, and that is what I will say, that recording creeped me out to no end. I listened to it once, and I refuse to listen to it again. He did say he wanted to build a children's hospital from the proceeds of the This Is It shows. Why is this not happening? Why not fulfill his wishes to build a children's hospital? Why are fans and advocates not communicating with the executors of the estate to utilize whatever profits they continue to make off Michael's legacy to build this hospital? Or at least improve upon a hospital's conditions? Why is this not happening? Why are people sitting there upset? The movie in five years, no one's probably going to talk about. As for now, Wade Robson, in particular, I consider him to be a narcissist. He's getting mileage out of this. Whether it's positive or negative, energy or news, he is getting major mileage out of this. He's probably behind the scenes getting some work (laughs) based on the notoriety of this movie. Dan Reed is probably getting some work based on the notoriety of this movie. And now the movie won an award so he has that on his belt. James Safechuck, I don't know. He's probably getting some interviews or something, I have no idea. But the fact is, the emphasis on this movie is giving them mileage. The best thing to do is not give them mileage. The best thing to do is adopt a child if you have the funds to do so. Foster a child if you have the space to do so. Visit a children's hospital. Contribute to once again improving a hospital's conditions if you have the funds to do so. What is going on here? <laughs> I am so tired of this conversation. Yes, we do have an episode that is in the vault, and we will post. And ultimately, that's the last thing I want to hear about this. We would Neverland business. <laughs> so tired. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I just think the focus on it is disrespectful of Michael's legacy and being reactionary about anything in relationship to Michael is, it's not doing service to what people claim he stood for. So the best thing to do, and it's the last thing I'm going to say, is not focus any energy on leaving neverland i could say that for two hours people still don't do it (laughs) and that's so sad (laughs) Yeah, that's all i'm gonna say thank you for listening to this episode i hope you got something out of it there's a lot of political material maybe it's some stuff you already were aware about and maybe some stuff you were not i hope it was all helpful and encourage you to do further research on these subjects that's the best thing awareness education and hopefully you spread the word to other people and hopefully you get together and do some organizing because that's going to really be (laughs) some powerful work wherever you are in the world day night afternoon please have a wonderful time be positive definitely be aware in your endeavors and be less reactionary definitely be less reactionary because that's not helping our ancestors legacy it's not helping michael's legacy thank you so much for listening and uh be well